0: Hi, I'm Ariana, And I'm Kaylee. And welcome back to the Unproblematic podcast. Um, We are two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. So come join us on our podcasting journey.
1: And although we do have a lot to say on this episode of Unproblematic, we are so excited to turn the majority of our time over to a guest we have been anticipating for a very long time which is who is Dr. Betty, Ariana's grandmother, a very very wonderful person, a very well-read person. She got me hooked on the New Yorker and gave me several of her magazines and she also cooks amazing food and she has wonderful stories. So we are so excited to have her on this episode of Unproblematic. She not only has read an incredible number of books And done an incredible number of things but she has been to so many different countries all over the world so we have asked her to talk about some of her different travel experiences and opinions on the world in this episode
0: yeah so um a fun fact is we don't call her dr betty jones uh we call her (laughs) bb because that is what she wanted her grandchildren to call her so bb do you want to introduce yourself
2: Sure. I'm happy to be here with you today. I've I've listened to all of your podcasts and enjoyed them immensely. So I think your conversations are very stimulating and I'm happy to be invited.
0: Yay, we're happy you're here, Bibi. And so this, like Kaylee said, this episode is gonna focus on her travels. And I can honestly say I got the travel bug from Bibi because she was the one who took my sister and I on our first international trip and she has taken us many places within the United States. But before we get into the traveling, we want to talk about our current reads and watches and story times if we have them. So Kaylee, let's start with you. What are you reading and watching and yeah, what are you, what are you doing?
1: Okay. Um, so I am still unemployed. Thanks Corona. So I've been reading a lot of books recently and I'm just about to finish three different books right now. Um, The fiction that I'm reading is Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri, another short story collection, which is wonderful, highly recommend it. Um, The Feminine Mystique I just finished by Betty Friedan, which is uh, a very classic feminist piece. I think it's very important for understanding the women's movement in the 1960s and 70s. It's a little bit dated. It has some of its problems. It's a little bit repetitive. But I think overall, Betty Friedan was incredibly smart and gets sort of a bad rap in history more so than she deserved. But anyway, so that's a really good book. I highly recommend that as well. Um, And then I'm also finishing up My Own Words by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is essentially just a compilation of a lot of her different speeches and opinions and her more accessible writing. It doesn't delve into a lot of her legal writing, like her court opinions, but it does bring together a lot of her different speeches that were very um, palatable and easy to understand. So I really like that collection as well and then i also just finished a tv finished a tv series called Mrs America and that was really good it has Kate Blanchett and Rose Byrne and a lot of different um, really popular actors and i think i mean it's definitely a, a biased point of view in history like it's very biased towards the women's movement but i think it does a good job of showing how nuanced a lot of these women's histories were and how, like, disunified the women's movement was and how that was kind of a weakness in their rallying point. And then also just the incredible feat that from an organizational point of view that the Women Against ERA came through to pull everything together to rally against ERA, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. But that's a really good show. I highly recommend
0: that as well. Sounds like you've been reading some intense stuff, but also watching some good stuff. Isn't the... The feminist one on Hulu is that on Hulu, correct? Yeah, it's okay. on Hulu. Is it like an hour. hour or half hour? So they're all
1: an hour long, and there's nine episodes, and they're all on Hulu now.
0: Bibi, we're gonna have to check that out. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to check that yeah. out. Um. So, Bibi, what are you reading and watching?
2: Well, um, if it's interesting, I've read the Feminist Mystique long time ago. Of course, it was it was current then. Um. And there was such an argument going on between those women who wanted to move toward women's rights and who wanted to be more activists. And um, I think it was Phyllis Shastley who was on the other side of that and believed that women's place was in the home with family and um, needed to be protected by men. So that was the argument at the time and uh, quite an issue. But uh, let's see, I just finished um, The Wild Seed. Now, I want I want to talk a little bit about that because before that, I had read two books by Octavia Butler, uh, The Parable of the Sower and The Parable of the Talents, and was impressed with both. But this Wild Seed one really blew me away. Um, <laughs> this woman is just a very powerful writer, and she has an imagination that, carries you all over time and of and the world too, and place. Um, she uh, imagines actually some scenes of what would happen if, um, and the ifs are really taken from conditions that we can actually see developing now. So some of it is kind of frightful when you read about it, um, but, I can recommend all of her books, actually. She's a powerful writer. She's interesting. She's engaging. And if you pick the book up, you're not going to pick it down put it down until you're finished. That's one. Uh, the other book uh, that I've been reading but can't quite finish yet is the book by Susan Rice. Now, that's nonfiction. And it's called Tough Love. Um, and it was kind of surprising. I expect it to be a lot more engaging than it is, actually. Uh a little bit more difficult to read. You you kind of lose interest and then you put it down and you might go back to it for a little bit more. But you need to read that one in sections. Um but anyway, that's what's going on with my reading life.
0: You're staying busy. But one you're also reading you forgot this. It's not about the burqa.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, I did start that,
0: but I didn't finish it yet. Because I started
2: reading, um, the last book.
0: You made a pretty big dent in it, though.
2: Yeah, I did, but that, but that was that is interesting, and I will finish it. I will finish it, and I will finish it because number one, it's it's the first book that I've read by uh, Muslim women. You know where the where the actual writing came from Muslim women, and I think it's just fascinating because. Uh, of the different views that they have. And the image that we have of Muslim women is really not accurate when you read what they have to say about their situation. And they're not always uh, defensive about uh, being Muslim either because they also see that there are some things that go on that really should not. So that the community is not all as cohesive as it may look from the outside. Anyway, I'll I'll finish that one as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's also the opinion I had reading that book and um in when I was in Tel Aviv, I went to this uh museum exhibit and it talked about how um like covering up and being super modest can actually be a an act of feminism as well, and there were different accounts from uh, different Jewish female believers and, and Muslim female believers and Christian female believers who adhered to that really strict modesty of covering everything, like even the face, to different extents, and how for them that was an act of asserting their independence from the male gaze by completely obscuring themselves, which I thought was really interesting.
2: Well, you know, we tend to evaluate everything based on a Western standard. So there's no surprise that we would look at that and say, my goodness, you know, they're they're exploiting women. But you're right, they see it a different way. Um, it reminded me of a class that I taught at Delta in sociology. And at the time, we had a number of male students who had come from uh, the East, um, near East. Anyway, uh, the question came up about, the treatment and the rights of women in that culture. And they defended it by saying that um, it was because they wanted to protect their women um, from gazing, from um, attacking by other people and um, that this was an act of protection by males of females now hmm. everybody of course in the class did not agree with that and we had lively discussions about it but i thought no. it was interesting that they took that and and that we had a space where we actually could discuss those things and you know not get all bent out of shape about differences hmm. wow wow
1: that is interesting and and obviously like i mean you you would like to hope no men would be thinking like purely from a jealous point of view of they don't want their wife to be seen by other people like i'm sure i'm sure most men there is some kind of good motivation there too of like wanting to protect their wives from from even just like like other men's eyes being like exploitative you know but yeah it's a tough it's a tough thing but yeah you can't assume that all women are making that decision because they've been oppressed like some really do see it as an act of worship or as an act of independence but
2: yeah we would see that differently in in the west though you know we like to dress we like stylish things and actually we want to be looked at <laughs> but I
1: suppose that you know being half naked as an act of independence is sort of absurd in a, in a certain light as well
2: you know? I didn't say we wanted to be naked I said we wanted to be looked at
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's <laughs> there's a broad range of views, definitely.
0: Okay, so I actually am reading the same thing as BB. I was I just finished um Wild Seed. And I think that this is something fun that BB and I do together is I will find books and I'll get book recommendations and then I'll come back and give her a suggestion. And that's what happened with Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, and Wild Seed. Um, but one series I recommend—I um, remember her, she was like, no, like, I don't want to read that. And she ended up loving it, was when The Hunger Games was super, super popular. Mm-hmm. And I brought her the first <laughs> book, and she's like, this is violent, like, da 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 And she read it, she's like, wow, there's a, this is a great story. <laughs> and <laughs> I think... I think it's something that we bond over and it's nice to be able to talk about um, the plots of books and the different characters, because a lot of people don't like to read, unfortunately. Um, And yeah, but that's what I'm reading. But I'm currently I'm still watching Criminal Minds. I'm almost to season three. Um, Yeah, I've been watching that a lot.
1: Getting very freaked out after some episodes. <laughs> yes, some of-
0: <laughs> I try to watch it during the day and not at night because again I- you never know. Like some I know like that show is fiction, but like have you ever seen like forensic files? That stuff is based off of real stories and that stuff is really crazy. And like a lot of the cases in forensic files have taken place in Michigan. I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh.
1: I believe it though. There's some but- scary All towns in Michigan. (laughs)
0: Yes, but it's even like, I remember, I'm not going to say the school, but a a girl, I remember I was watching an episode and she got kidnapped off her college campus and I was like, oh my gosh, like, that is so scary. But yeah, I know. But that's what I've been reading and watching. So... Our next segment, we want to talk, the main reason we have Bibi on here, besides the fact that she's very fun to talk to, is that Bibi is a traveler. She's an independent woman who travels by her, has traveled by herself. But another thing that I think is very important is that she traveled by herself during a time that a lot of um, women were not... Um, as independent as they are now. And I just really want to get her point of view when we're going to ask her some questions and hear some stories that she has to share. So the first question, Kaylee, do you want to ask her?
1: Yeah. Um, solo female travel before solo female travel was cool. That's B.B. So B.B., first of all, how many countries have you been to? And OK, so this question was what countries have you been to? Can you remember all of them? Because I know it's a crazy high number.
2: You know, I keep a record, Kaylee, in my phone of each country that I go to. And now that I have an iPad, I keep a journal. Oh, I, perfect. Yeah, I kept journals and books before when I traveled, but now that I have an iPad it's easier to just take that iPad and do, you know, do it there. But um I think the last time I figured it was 55 countries. Okay. Wow. And I didn't realize that there's a 100 club. Did you know that? No. That if you've traveled to a hundred com- countries, you you can become a, a member of the 100 club, and then you get special. <laughs> what are those special privileges? Yeah, you do. What are they? Well, they special travel pri- privileges. You know, you get stuff off on your tickets like no
0: tsa check
2: well i don't know about all that you know tsa is a whole different (laughs) thing but yeah but i've I've, I've of course traveled in canada and western europe eastern europe scandinavia and africa both west africa east africa and north africa wow and south africa yeah because i was in botswana and zimbabwe and zambia And uh, Central America, South America, um, the Caribbean, Asia. I was in Japan and China. Um, And I, I put in here somewhere the number of continents. Yeah, I've traveled in five continents. So, you know, you get a sense of how each one differs. And one of the things that I have found is that once you get past the initial introductions and so forth, um, you find that while people have different ways of life, most of these people want the same things out of life. I mean, the good life means the same thing to most people. You know, they want to have families. They want their children to be educated in good schools, um, they want to have some interest in their life, most of them have a way of um, w- regular worship, et cetera. So you get to participate in a lot of those things, especially if you get to know people and I've always found that language, even the differences in language don't really make make a lot of difference One, I'm trying to remember which country I went to and um it was it was my monthly period and i i, I came on suddenly and I needed some um Cotex Modest or whatever I could find and I didn't have the language. So I went to this <laughs> drugstore and my goodness I learned how to pantomime enough that he knew what I needed and got it. So, you know, I mean you just have to make it up as you go along.
1: There's a certain kind of panic that I think people can read in your eyes, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, but he, but you know you have to let know what kind of panic it is. <laughs> wow. What country was that in? Say what? What country was what? that in? I can't remember. I'm thinking. It's, I think it was. I think it was in Central America, probably around the Yucatan, and um, it was in Central America, and they speak Spanish there. I didn't have the Spanish language at the time. I didn't even know the the word for for, for a sanitary napkin, right. <laughs> and I didn't see any.
0: And there, and there were no uh, cell phones. I'm assuming.
2: No, no, we didn't no, so phones. no Google. No, no cell phones.
0: People always tell you to learn bathroom in a
1: language, but I guess like that's another important one.
2: <laughs> well, when you travel, you know what? One of, that's one of the first things they they tell you. You know, you do learn a little bit of language, and we had learned some things to refer to, like you know, water and um the the bed they call them I don't call them bathrooms they call them something the toilet mm-hmm. um and what do they call the bathrooms where you traveled? um
1: uh like where in israel or in yeah Europe? um in israel there's not a lot of places to like use the bathroom for free unless well Okay. So in restaurants and bars, people are pretty nice about it. Like typically in Europe, people don't like you using their bathroom unless you buy something, but like everyone's really nice. So they let you use the bathroom and like restaurants and bars. And um, But there's not a lot of like places by the side of the road or anything. There's not a lot of public restrooms that aren't no. a, like a part of restaurants.
2: Yeah. It's kind of interesting because that's one of the things that I think surprises people. Um, when I first went to um, Spain, I think it was um, one of the women that I worked with said to me, "You'd better take some toilet paper with you," and I didn't understand what she meant. But we did take it, you know. I mean, we take the center out and fold it up and put it in your suitcase, but they don't—they don't give you that, you know—and. And the, the whole concept of a public restroom is really very, very slim. They don't have a strong concept for that. So you have to kind of, um, again, work your way and maneuver your way to if you have to go. But you know, as a result of that, I developed a very strong bladder. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I go in the morning before I go out at the hotel and I don't go again until, until <laughs> evening when I get back. Now so, I'm never be- caught at night by myself um in the street. So I'm in my hotel by night and you know usually your hotels will supply one in your room. Um, so
1: that's part
2: that Have part been- yeah that part works.
1: <laughs> Have you been to
2: Morocco, Bibi? I did go to Morocco when we went to Spain. We took the boat, you know, the um the air air boat. I've forgotten what they call them now. But anyway, you can get a boat across the Um, Isthmus to Morocco and we did that spent a couple of days and I I wasn't there very long but enough to get a sense of um, that culture and and what people were about and we got my husband and I were together and we got lost in the casbah I remember that (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um, it was hard And, and this young kid Really, you know, he—I guess—he figured that's the way to earn money. But he helped us find our way out and find our way back to where our group was. So, so it, you know, we didn't have to live there forever. <laughs> but the Casbah is a tangle of of little pathways and roads, and they all look alike. You know, if you get lost, you're just lost. You'd have to know what you were doing. and I—and you know, I, I, people who live there, of course, do but um, it it was something else. We started out in the marketplace and um, got talking with one of the the merchants and he offered us tea. So we were sitting there having tea and having a good time, a good conversation with him but the rest of the group had gone on and we had no idea where they were.
1: (laughs) So did you use um, the bathroom in Morocco while you were there? Not in the street,
2: I didn't, no. (laughs) In fact, I don't know that I ever saw one.
1: Well, there's our, so the one that we, we went to Marrakesh and I don't know if this is the only a thing in Marrakesh, but they have literally like holes in the ground with places to stand for your feet. So there's like a oh. placement and then you squat and there you just have to squat and, and, and be like that. And it was really interesting. That was probably the craziest toilet experience I'd ever
2: had. <laughs> well, they had those kind of toilets in Spain, you know, where you didn't have a place to sit you just stood and there was an open place you stood and straddled that and um if you had to do something else you squatted but but otherwise i mean people just stood um my husband had an interesting interesting experience because he went to the bathroom and of course it's much easier for men but he said while he was there the lady came in to clean it and she just. She just cleaned around him. <laughs> it was he was he was kinda shocked. But um, you know, she she was cleaning and it was her job and she wasn't paying any attention to him. He's
1: got a deadline, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So but you know, it's 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 um these are experiences that teach you that different areas have they have different resources, number one. So the whole concept of public bathrooms in the West has to do with the way businesses are organized and tourism, etc. At the time that we visited those countries, I don't think they had high degrees of tourism. And so they really were not prepared for a large number of people to come and, you know, have public facilities for them to use. So um, you have to kind of live where you go. Um I found the same thing in China. Um, they did not have sit down bathrooms either when I was there. Now they may have had them since the Olympics. I mean, if they got so many people coming in for, you know, when they had, when they hosted the Olympics, I'm sure they probably put something in. Maybe they were porta toilets, I don't know. But um, pe- people who come from um, what we call the West, you know, Europe, United States we expect a few amenities. <laughs> like toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, like toilet paper. And you know, I, I'm trying to remember it was what well, was in um Egypt. Um you you they had bathrooms, you know, you could go, but the point is that they you they didn't have toilet paper. And when you went in the bathroom, the public bathroom, they um had somebody an attendant at the door. And you would pay and they would give you something to me that looked like a napkin. You know, it wasn't, Hmm. it wasn't like toilet paper and and it tended to be a bit firm. So they were kind of hard to to deal with but that's what you had. And, you know, and and you had to pay for that. I mean, it was not free, which I thought was interesting. So. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that happens um, in Budapest and in Morocco too the paying for toilet paper and then like paying for the bathroom. But yeah, interesting.
2: And then the people expect to be tipped.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. You pay for your toilet paper and then you have to tip them. <laughs> Why are you
0: frowning? <laughs> <coughs> oh, <laughs> oh, wow. um, so... Moving on from toilet talk. (laughs) I wanted to ask, um, so what was your favorite country that you've traveled to and why?
2: I think that maybe my favorite countries were in Africa. I was in, um, that was because I knew people and I visited there. Um, I had a friend Uh, And a former colleague who was a missionary in Botswana. And um, she went there to work with local people there to translate the Bible actually into Setswana, which was their language. And these were little churches that they were starting out in the bush. And she took me to one. And, you know, it was just amazing to me that you're going to church and people are worshiping. And there's a lot of feeling about all of that. But there was no building. There were no chairs or whatever. People came to a given clair- clearing that everybody knew about at a given time. I say a given time, but some people wandered in whenever they got there. And um, there was a lot of singing and worship and scripture, et cetera. So they had a worship service and they called themselves the church but they had no buildings and i thought you know that lets you know that you can still have a church experience and you don't need buildings to do that um they had more feeling than any church i think i've ever been in and i was really impressed by that but um in botswana also i had the experience of flying from botswana to south africa and going over victoria falls and that was just oh goodness that was just awesome um they call it they call it the smoke that thunders and you can hear it you can hear those falls from way off we were in a little transport plane that uh the mission had um, bought and they had a pilot to carry supplies, et cetera, into the bush. And so he flew us from Botswana to um, this camp, actually, in South Africa. And um, I had the opportunity to walk along a pathway that led across from Victoria Falls. And they have a rope bridge, you know, that you can, you can go across. Now, the bridge is not stable, you know, it swings, it sways like the ones we did in Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. And you're standing there looking at these falls that are so huge. You know, I mean, they're just overwhelming. I mean, you you almost, you get in the middle, you can't move, but they are just they are just awesome. That's the only way I can describe it. So I, I really enjoyed that. That was just, it was an experience I won't ever forget. And um, that was one. And, of course, the other one was Kenya. And I've gone to Kenya for, I think I've had about nine trips to Kenya but then I had responsibilities there. We had a sister college, Delta had a sister college in Kenya, and I was directing that project. And so I had to go and oversee it and uh, carry on the research for outcomes and that kind of thing. We had a governmental grant from USIA to to do that. And um, that was interesting, made a lot of friends there. And actually that's why they named the library after me because, when we first went, they had this little spot, you know, it was dark. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't imagine the library looking like that, but that's where students went to study. And I thought, gosh, this is just not adequate. You know, how can you learn when you don't have enough light and you don't have enough books? And it was just kind of pathetic. So we went back and started a student project to collect books uh, and to send them. And um, we sent all kinds of books. And, to this day, I um, I give them each year a subscription to National Geographic so that you know, they'll always have that in their library. So um, Ariana and Alyssa went with me to see this. And they, they got another building um, that is larger, lighter, and students like being there. But they're building one. I don't know that it's finished yet.
0: I don't think it is, yeah,
2: because it's but but they're building a really good, you know, really nice one,
0: but when we were there, they had the frame up, they did some uh, and
2: eventually it will get finished, you know, mm-hmm. everything eventually does get yep. finished, so but anyway, I would say those are my two outstanding experiences, um, but by the time I visited Kenya, I was a seasoned traveler. I mean, my early travels were probably the most interesting because I was learning the most you know about how to travel and how to how to negotiate new cultures that was something I really had to learn Mm -hmm. um you can't be um you can't be shocked at everything you know Mm -hmm. you just what you should do is ask questions and see you know where people are coming from that's the only thing I can say um but, but, you know, I've had some good times. I really have. And I, and I have friends at all those places. You know, they write to me. And yeah. now that we have um, technology, they email me. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's helpful. Um, Can you give us an example of one of those culture shock countries?
2: Well, I think I was in my 20s, or maybe my early 30s, when I took my first trip to West Africa. I went to Ghana. Uh, Same area that Ariana went to. Kaylee was there, too. Oh, that's right, Kaylee, you went, too. That's where we met. But, you know, it was different. I think it was very different by the time you guys got there because they had maybe a couple of really large hotels in Accra. Um, But I stayed with a family. And I had met this woman uh, who had come to the United States on exchange. She was a teacher, and her brother ran a school, so I had that connection. She invited me to stay at her home. Now, I went with a group out of New York called Educators for Africa, and it was my first trip and a lot of others. But The interesting thing about it was, you know, it was a time that Africa was an unknown. I mean, it was one of those things that if you were black, you— you had dreams about it and you wanted to know about it because it was the motherland and when we got there you know we landed in Accra, this airport i think we landed on red clay uh the airplane airplane did and there were people that got out there were young people that got out and kissed the earth you know said mother africa i have i have come home (laughs) but anyway they were very friendly people, very warm, very friendly, and um, they met me, whole group met me at the airport um, and took me to, you know, where they lived, and everybody in the neighborhood knew that, you know, uh, my friend Mayfred had a guest from the United States, so they all wanted to meet me. Everybody came around, and she had a kind of a reception or a party, and so I saw her, you know, preparing for that. Um and the thing, one of the things that tickled me was that I liked iced tea. Now they drink tea, but they don't drink iced tea. They drink hot tea. Okay. So I kept asking for ice, you know, cause it was hot. <laughs> and they thought that was the most unusual thing. So when they were talking about this, you know, the lady down, the lady with the iced tea, <laughs> the lady with the iced tea. So everybody got to know me as the lady with the iced tea. And the first party that May- Mayfred took me to was at the home of um, a man that had several wives. Now I was not accustomed to that either. Mm. Um, and they, you know, it was a lovely little party and I enjoyed it, but he had, I think he had three wives. Um, two of them were sisters. But the other one was maybe a cousin or something. They were from the same family. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wondered how that worked, you know. They each had their little house that they lived in, and he visited each one, you know, when her turn came. And I thought, oh, okay. That would never happen. (laughs) That would never happen in the US, you know. So, but. I'd say
0: never, because haven't you seen Sister Wives? Isn't that pretty much the same thing?
2: Where are sister wives located? Is, I I love the
0: I think it's Utah. Is it Utah, Kaylee? I think so. yeah. Salt Lake- it's, it's like it's like this man he has four wives, four wives. Yes.
2: I met one man in Washington that had wives, and they lived in houses that were adjacent to each other, but nobody knew that he had all his wives. It was just that they were living there and they all had children. I suspect he was the father, but nobody, you know, nobody made a big deal of it. So he got away with it. But in fact, some of his children were in the campfire organization that I was working with. And they were very good parents as far as that went. But, you know, it was just an unusual thing. But, I mean, this was kind of common thing in um, in Ghana at the time. And in the newspaper... Uh, you would sometimes see letters from the wives who felt they were neglected, and they, and then that it wasn't fair. So I learned that, um, you know, there was a senior wife, and the first wife is always the senior wife, and he, he is a, the the man is supposed to get permission from her that she will accept the other wives. But I mean, the point is that she she knows that he is going to take other bring other women to the home when i talked to senior wives they said to me that um it was good because women have a lot of work to do and that with the more wives that the husband gets in the compound the more people you have to share the work so i thought that makes good sense right so anyway that that's the way that worked, but I got a chance living with Mayford to talk with a lot of people, a lot, particularly women, you know, to see what how they viewed the world and how they viewed the system that they live with. Um, every now and then, you would see a letter in the paper from a wife that was dissatisfied because she felt her husband was neglecting her and going to a younger wife more often. Hmm. Um, but Um, In general, I mean, there was no recourse they had. I mean, they couldn't take him to court. Uh, Now, the man had an obligation to take care of all his wives. So you had to be kind of, you know, well off in order to have those wives. Um, If you were a poor man, you probably just had one wife. You probably just had one wife or none at all. So that was one of the culture shocks that I had. And 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 learn what was what was behind that. The other one I think was, and I guess I won't forget this one either. Um, my host hostess would take me to um, different things that would be happening in, back in the in the villages, because Accra was the city, but they all had family back in in the rural villages, and those villages always had some kind of celebration. Uh, at least once a year. So Mayfrey took me to one of those. And um, the host at this celebration was a man who, um, first of all, the the thing that was interesting was that because I was a guest from the United States, they wanted me to eat with the men and, and the wives had to serve the meal, but they could not sit at the table. And that was, you know, bothersome to me um, yeah, because you're in the woman's house, you know, and and she can't sit at the table, but there you are with her husband and whoever else so i um I finally asked, you know, um, I didn't see men doing anything, women work all the time, mm-hmm. so I said, you know what well, what what do the men do and <laughs> they answered me that um, in Ghana, um women do. Men don't do. Women do. Men are. Okay. Well, you get that. Uh, it's enough for a man to be. Uh, women have. Men, women have to do. So. Wow. I thought, oh, okay. I shut up about that. But I had to watch out from this host, from this other one, because he kept trying to flirt with me. And his wife was right there, you know. And I thought, well, okay, I'm—I'll fix you. I'm going to go by and sit right by her and start a conversation, and that'll shut you up. Well, it didn't. I mean, he just—he just came right over as if it was his right. So I finally had to just tell him, you know, I'm married. I have a husband at home and two children. <laughs> <laughs> and I in another one. He wanted another wife. Oh
1: my word. Yes. <laughs> well, you had the experience.
0: Not the time. Yo, yo, tell her oh gosh. So <laughs> <laughs> when we, were, when we were in Kenya. We were at we were uh out at the Maasai Mara and we were at our like campsite for the night. And like there my sister and I were just hanging out by the fire and one of the guys who was working out in like the camp area, he, he he came up to BB and he was like uh, are they married? And like at the time I was 17 yeah. uh, 17
2: most women are married by then <laughs> oh no,
0: and <laughs> I feel like I've blocked this out of my mind because <laughs> it's not as crisp as it used to be but I think you know, BB has a better uh, memory of it, but I pretty much he just said like, "Oh, like I'll give you like two cows or blah blah blah." If uh... no, you
2: were worth more than that. He he offered me six cows for her for for one of those girls. He said, oh. "Okay." So they they were shocked, you know. I mean, I,
0: I was minding my own business. <laughs> so
2: I did you know. Um... I, I can't do that. You know, I, I have to take them back home. And so then he said, but, but I'll give you two elephants in, in, in addition to that. And I thought, oh, what in the world would I do with elephants?
1: <laughs> well, elephants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but gosh. I told Ariana they have a tradition of bride price. You know, they sort of pay for their brides. So the family um, of the bride. Uh, is due a payment of the from the groom who wants to marry their daughter.
1: Wow. He yes. Really
2: and usually because the mass I value cattle, they do that in the form of cattle. So a man who has a lot of cattle, a family that owns a lot of cattle, they'll get good brides for their for their for their sons. So anyway. Anyway we didn't leave Ariane and Alyssa there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. know. <laughs> thought Bibi thought it was so funny. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> she I just remember Man, that was your first culture
2: shock, right?
0: Yeah, cuz like that was towards the end of the trip. So like we were having a good old time and then this I was just like, "Uh, <laughs> oh, no thank you." Like oh. but it was it, Kenya was one of my favorite countries. Um Bibi, we wanted to ask you also, um, well, you actually did, you did answer this question. You said some interesting travel stories, but if you could go anywhere, where do you want to go? I know you, you had a trip planned for Israel um, in December, but you're not going anymore because of Corona. Um, But besides Israel, is there anywhere else you'd like to go?
2: Yeah, there's some countries. A couple of countries I haven't been to that I'd like to go. One of them is Russia. You know, I have a uh, curiosity about Russia. Um, my colleague in Australia just had a trip to Russia last summer, I think. And she was talking about how interesting it was. And she had lots of pictures that she shared with me. I would really like to go there. Oh. And um, the other place I'm curious about is Iceland.
0: I hear ice beautiful.
2: Yeah, so did I. So uh that's another place. But you know, we went to Alaska, which is which is also beautiful. It's like another it's it's not like one of the United States actually. It's like some other world. And um I'm glad that we did it before um, you know, the 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 glaciers are melting. Yeah. So we did see some of those before we before they're all gone. So I'm glad we did that, but, but I'd like to go to Iceland.
0: You know, I'll, I'll just uh, make sure I'll go with you just to make sure like, you know,
2: (laughs) everything goes smoothly.
0: (laughs) I'll pack a little backpack and, uh, no, BB's fun to travel with. Um, we've had some good times and, (laughs) uh, I remember when we were, we do a lot of shopping when we're together, but I think one thing that I really like when Bibi and I go, um, one thing that we both like when we go traveling is to bring back a piece of jewelry. Mm. And Bibi and I both love collecting rings and Bibi collects all all types of jewelry. When we went to Greece, she got earrings, a bracelet, and a ring. Mm. She had to get the whole set. <laughs> and I think I think jewelry tells a lot of stories what actually i have another question what is your most like unique story about getting your jewelry because a lot of times like you have to go and search for it so what was like what's your most unique piece
2: of jewelry and where what country was it from? um i think i probably got my most unique jewelry from greece um I'm fascinated with their, um, what I call it, the Greek Z, but they call it, um, they have another name for it, but it's, the pattern of it is, it's like um
0: it's like a free-flowing river, so it zigzags. Yeah, and that's the story behind
2: it, too. This jeweler told me about that, and it, it represents their concept of life that it's ongoing, Mm -hmm. you know, like a river and that, uh, and I I love that. You know, I, um, the first time I went to Greece, I got one of those for a necklace and the earrings matching earrings for my aunt. I traveled some with my aunt Sue and um, I had hoped to have those when she passed on, but somebody had taken them. She had a a lot of stuff that was stolen from her. Uh, when she got Alzheimer's because she didn't know what was going on in her house. But um, I find those to be most fascinating. I I go through my rings ever so often and just, you know. I did have a wonderful um, oinks ring that I got in Kenya. It was, oinks is a black stone. And this ring was cut purely from that stone. You know, it didn't have any gold or anything in it. Mm And um I love that ring and somehow it dropped and the bottom of it broke. So a local jeweler took the top and um put a silver, you know, holder on it for mm-hmm. me so I can still wear it. But now it's black and silver, has a white streak down the middle. Now I love that ring. I really do. And that's one of one of the ones that I that I remember and that's precious. So, I think those would be my two favorite pieces.
0: Yeah, I really like the Z ring, as you like to call it. I we ha- we actually got matching ones. I have, I have the ring for the Z ring. I can't believe we can't remember what the technical name. What they had a different name. It's not the Z ring. It's something else. But I know.
2: Don't right, have- uh, I might be able to find it. Keep on talking.
0: No. <laughs>
1: right so um, can i ask the the middle question that we sort of skipped a little bit
0: <laughs> yes of course
1: so i traveled solo recently for like a month but i had a phone and i've heard that you traveled solo without the internet as we have it right now so what was traveling solo like for you Bibi?
2: well you know what it was it was freewheeling um Kaylee but you know it was a different time too I, I admire what you were able to do because I don't think I could do that now um, but I hitchhiked and um, I found that people were just really helpful you know sometimes one of the things is, is that, that people who had cars and were traveling uh, were curious of why a woman would be out there <laughs> <be out laughs> so they would stop and picked me up, and then he headed—I mean, headed the same direction I was headed. One time, a guy stopped. He was on his motorcycle, and asked me oh. if I wanted to ride. And I said, "Fine." So I popped on the back of him <laughs> and uh, he took me to—I think it was the C- in in Ghana. What? But um, he was a member of a what they don't call the union. It's like our labor unions. And uh, he, took, he wanted to show me off. So he took me over to where they work and they asked me to speak. Like, I knew something about labor <laughs> unions. But... <laughs> and anyway, you know, it was just a fun conversation, really. All guys and me, you know, knowing not a thing about labor, but I could tell them a little bit about <laughs> unions in the US and, and the strikes to get, you know, um, to get higher salaries and to bargain with the owners and that kind of thing. They thought that was fascinating. They hadn't done anything like that. So I don't know if I started anything or not. Who knows?
1: <laughs> wow. Oh my word. That's
2: such a question. But, but the thing was that in Ghana at the time, they went they had um put places along the way that they call rest rest homes. I don't know if they're still there or not. You guys stayed in hotels. You show sure all the way. But they would have rest houses. And um I don't know who who, whether the government did these or not, but uh, when government officials were traveling, this is where they would stay. You know, they'd go to the rest home. So, so this one man who, who took me on the motorcycle took me to a rest house, and I was able to get a room and stay there overnight, and then you know head out the next morning. Um, but I mean, I, I hitchhike sometimes with cars. I mean, I got a motorcycle ride. Sometimes I caught the bus. Uh, they did have buses. Now buses were interesting because the bus was full of everything, you know, people and animals and whatever. And um, and when they would stop for for in, to let people off, they had talking about restrooms again. You know, you can't get past the toilet thing. Okay. They had outdoor ones, <laughs> outdoor ones, man, and they were like troughs, you know. And so you had to go, and if if you had to 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 urinate you had to urinate over this trough and you know most of the women who were there had on these cloths and so they just stood over there and urinated well I had on I had on blue jeans I had on blue jeans so I had to take my take take my pants down in order to do anything (laughs) but you know what you do what you have to do so I'm talking to myself. I'm only gonna be here for ten minutes. So let me do what I have to do and get back on that bus.
1: <laughs> How did you navigate the bus system, though?
2: Well, they How- stop. They stop at at there. There are locations where they know buses are stopping, and people wait there. Okay, um, and they they do have what they call a transport yard. Every every um, village had a transport yard. Sometimes they're buses, sometimes it's cars, uh, but the bus will not leave until it's full. So you have to wait until it's full before it goes anywhere. Oh, wow. And so, and that was true also of the cars. Well, you know, they want a full load if they're gonna travel anywhere because they're, to, to, for the money, I mean, they, they're making a living that way. So I, I understood that. Um, but um, otherwise, I tell you, sometimes I connected with families and they wanted to take me to um, their village to see their people. And I get, I got to see and meet a lot of people that way. Um, I tended to be very, um, I, I don't know, how would I describe that? I think that I reached out to people. I was friendly and easy to talk to, you know. And I was very curious, and they were curious about me because at the, it, at the time you just didn't find women traveling that way. You didn't, and so they wondered who, where in the world was I from? <laughs> How come my husband let me be out there? And I mean, they had all kinds of questions. But it was a protection for me that I had a husband, and that I had a picture of him, and that I had a picture of my two boys. You know, so so it wasn't that. I never felt unsafe uh and and people, as I said, were very warm and very friendly and particularly in Ghana. Now, I didn't find the same thing in Nigeria, but Ghana was just a, it was a comfortable place to be then um, i I did um when Ariana sent me the picture of her. Um, and her silhouette at that at Slave Castle, I remember it being the very same place. I, if I looked long enough, I probably could find my picture there, too. But it was really a moving thing to see her there all these years later, you know, when when I had been there as a young person as well. So, But when I was there, um, they had just, that Slave Castle had just been converted to where tourists could go because they had made it a prison. So they had had prisoners there. And they had no idea. The people who ran there had no idea about the history of that place. And they couldn't understand why Americans, particularly Black Americans, were so interested in going there, you mm-hmm. know. And it was only later that they got some programs and began to understand that this was um, part of the connection between Africa and African Americans that many of them had ancestors that came through that prison um and the history of the prison itself the the slave castle itself is just just remarkable you know to be there, I understand that um the um there were black professionals that actually went back to have a concert and do a performance at that castle. And one of the women who was a singer and whom I, my husband and I had known in Washington was Roberta Flack. And Roberta cried. She said she, when she saw those chains and she went down in that dungeon, she just couldn't stand it. Because, you know, all of these things come back and you think, my God, you know, that I have people that actually, you know, were here and, and went through this experience. Uh, you cannot imagine what it must have been like so um, but now of course it's 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 a tourist thing and you all got a tour from a guide right? Yeah Sebastian. Yeah mm. so and they put figures in it and all those figures were not there. When we were those there.
0: figures were kind of creepy
2: like it's scary. <laughs> well we, they weren't there when we were there the castle was but there. But they
0: were really really they were like stone heads and they had like the male and female heads
2: separated so like you could like
0: it was just more of like a visual thing,
2: yeah, but they have made those and put them there mm-hmm. to add interest, I think, because that we didn't I didn't see all that, yeah, okay. that
1: powerful, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ariana, that artist, um tried to exhume some of the bones of past slaves and had tried to model. Bus after that
0: balls, right? Yeah, the, uh, Sebastian had said something I don't even know, I don't know if it was exactly that, it probably was, but I just remember saying that the faces were designed so that they actually looked very familiar, like, like they looked kind of like act- people who were like actually enslaved, um, which is crazy. Did so they allowed them just to go take the bones? I Like how was he able to like build a face like a like bone structure to like sculpt that is is
1: Yeah, I I can't picture of that plaque. I'll have to reread it, but I know like all of the faces were different and he did some kind yeah. of research where it was like supposed to be similar to real slaves who had been in that castle, but I can't remember how he did that.
0: Wow. Well. Yeah, but Cape Cape Coast is an experience, and like the whole time, uh, everyone's just very quiet and respectful, and you just listen to what the tour guys have to say and yeah. share, and
2: yeah. Well, I think in a way it's wonderful that it has come to that, um, and that. It's part now of a history that they can remember. I mean that they can memorize memorialize because they wouldn't have been there. But when I read that book that you brought for me
0: Home Going. Home
2: Going. I mean that that was a very moving book. It really
0: me. was. And I feel like it meant even more to me because okay, so I had a teacher had recommended that I get that book, Home Going by Yah Giasi or Gyasi. And it was it took place in Ghana and there was about two sisters who didn't know that they were sisters and like one is put into slavery and is sh- um, shipped to um, the United States and one um, stays and lives and gets married in Ghana. And it was just kind of how like their ancestors, like how they both were on different paths and how it kind of ended up um, and how it kind of goes full circle. But it was interesting to, re- I didn't finish the book while we were on the trip. I only read like a little bit of it, but it was, int- I felt like it meant more after getting back from the trip because I had, I could have like an v- actual visual of like the places that they they were describing and the different cities and things like that. Um, and it was, I highly recommend that book if you have not read it. It's, I all three of us have read it, honestly. It's very, it's a very, like, it's a very quick read. You can't, it's one of those books you just, you got to stay up all night and
2: finish it. Yeah, you yeah. can't put it down once you pick it up. Yeah, yeah. And, and and what was fascinating to me is the way that she followed the descendants of of those two women. Um, she did a great job with writing it. novels. Yeah, I'm, so well written. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um,
2: you see, all the books Ariana gets me into. <laughs>
0: it's so much fun and she's good recommendations for sure and bb always gives me barnes and noble gift cards for my birthday and christmas so what else am i supposed to do (laughs) and when i was younger they wouldn't buy like my grandparents wouldn't buy like toys so you know what i I had to say it's educational it's educational (laughs) but they would never say no to books they never did, so that's why my book collection is so big. Because whenever they take me to Barnes and Noble, I'm like, can I, can I get it? It's and very. Always wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's very educational. <sighs> yes, but this was a great episode, and thank you so much, Bibi for joining us on this episode because we appreciate and love you so much and we would love to have you back because you have so many great stories to share. I'm, I learn something new every time I talk to BB. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank I mean- you for inviting me, really. This was fun to do. Thank yeah. you too, Kaylee.
1: Yeah, of course. It was fun <laughs> to talk to you. We've been
0: talking about this for so long.
2: Yes, we have.
0: And it's been, uh, It's. I guess it's good that I'm... Um, in quarantine with you, Bibi, so we so we can figure this out together. <laughs> and she's been doing a lot of reading, and I introduced her to Audible, so okay. she likes. Audible I guess sponsor she, us, <laughs> please. <laughs> she she likes the voices and yeah. So again, thank you so much, Bibi. This was great.
2: You are absolutely welcome. Okay.
0: Thank you for listening, and I hope you guys tune into our next episode. All right, signing off.